Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists, and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, my little sunflowers, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. Today is part two of the Daddy Issues series with me and therapist Stephanie Ward. The part one of this episode is episode 77, which we actually honestly had the most incredible feedback on. And today we are going deeper in part two. Stephanie shares more about this concept of core beliefs, which literally lay the foundations of our father wound, as well as also discussing how this can show up in so many ways, but particularly hyper-independence and how we might think that we need to do it all on our own or that it might be easier that way. But deep down, underneath it all, underneath the coping mechanisms and underneath the armor, there might be a quiet whisper or a very loud shout that you really, really wish that someone somewhere might just come and help you for once in your life. Something else that I've learned from therapy is this connection between hyper-independent women and also overachieving women. Not only will they swear that they're fine on their own, but they are also likely the type A overachievers, overworkers and oversucceeders that you might have come across or you might be yourself. Now it sounds cliche, but also don't switch off if you think that isn't you, because what I have learned is that hyper-independence and its connection to the father wound is so deeply nuanced. Take me for example, I like being in a relationship, but I don't need to be in one. I like to be in control, get things done, but it doesn't mean that I can't ask for help. I'm okay with saying to someone I'm not okay or crying, even if I maybe truly believe that I am probably the only person that can actually fix the situation. And I'm very happy to ask my boyfriend to do something, but God forbid if he doesn't do it or he doesn't report back to me, then yes, I get frustrated and think, oh, I should have just done it myself. It shows up in the workplace too. And I think one of the problems is that I work so hard and so fast that I always just feel like I'm just going to do this on my own and get this done rather than by the time I've briefed someone else to do it, waited for them to do it, maybe they're going to do it wrong. We're all going to waste time. So I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to sort out the whole situation. And that is dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because it means that I just take on everything myself, leading to a never-ending to-do list, which means that work can really take over my life. And it did before I started to understand and unpack these patterns in therapy. And the problem is, what Stephanie has taught me is that I feel safe in my masculine. And that is why this hyper-independence is a coping mechanism and a protective armor. I love working. It feels good. It's fueled with dopamine and achieving. And on the good days, the podcast is flying and growing. And in my day job, some months I'm making great money. But on the bad days, it's too much. And I realize it's just not sustainable. But I get stuck in these cycles that go round and round and round again, repeating, repeating, repeating. It's not unusual for me to really often get quite upset when I'm exhausted and overworked to say to my boyfriend that I literally don't think I know who I am underneath my work. And that is because hyper-independence can lead to burnout, exhaustion, isolation, loneliness, and more. And I have experienced all of those firsthand. But this is where it gets complicated because if you're thinking, oh, I don't really relate to her story because like I don't really tick all of those boxes. The truth is, is that even though I thrive in my overachieving, oversucceeding, always on, hardworking, money, 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 making masculine, it's not my whole personality. And there's another part of me that is so soft and so sensitive. And my boyfriend looks after me and he cooks for me and he loves me and he worships me. I'm grateful for him and his presence in my life. And I'm definitely a better person with him in my life. In fact, a much better person. 
So I don't fit into that category of like angry woman that hates men and really doesn't need anyone. So it's confusing because yes, I'm hyper-independent, but I'm also not. Underneath all of those nuances, there is that quiet but very strong feeling of, I'm fine on my own. I can do this on my own. And probably, if I'm going to take it even deeper, a feeling that me actually asking for help is just going to inconvenience you and you're not actually going to want to help me. And you'd probably only actually be helping me because I'm asking you to help me, not because you want to. It's a feeling that's very, very hard to put your finger on. It's not clear and it's not shouting. It's just sort of quietly hidden under the surface. And the truth is, is when I am in that hypermasculine, I often don't feel the sadness that can lie below the surface. Because sometimes it's just very lonely. Feeling like you always need to be the strong one, always the one that's in control and always the one pushing to wherever it is that you want to go. So I'm sharing my experience in the hope that maybe you might realize that you're not alone too. Because that's one thing that I've learned in therapy is that not everything is glaringly obvious. It's not a tick box like yes or no, I have this or I don't have that. It's just about exploring these topics with an open mind, an open heart and seeing, hey, yeah, that resonates. And I've actually never thought about that before. And that to me is healing. I remember once that an ex-boyfriend told me that I would never truly be able to connect with someone else and love them and love myself until I healed my relationship with my father and my relationship with work. And that was such a deeply triggering thing for him to say. But now I look back, he was right. He saw it all along, that my work, my independence, my overachieving and my relentless drive was actually just a symptom of something a little deeper. And the truth is, I actually don't think that we are meant to do this life alone. The more and more I read into the literature, I realize that we are human beings that have evolved out of packs and tribes and groups where we all grow up and live together, connected, supporting each other, living off the land, raising each other's children as if we are all one big family. So as much as we want to stay hyper-independent today and go it alone, the truth is, is that we are better together, just like this podcast. So what I wanted to share in this intro is that the father wound isn't one size fits all and neither is hyper-independence. It doesn't look the same for everyone because remember, you're mixing this wound with hundreds of others, making all of us the unique, beautiful creatures that we are. What I hope you take from this episode is how intricately some of these traits are connected to the father wound. And Stephanie actually teaches us that at some point, somewhere along the line, someone in your history taught you, probably your father, consciously or subconsciously, that it was hard for a man to show up for all of your emotional needs. I think the most important factor here is that independence is critical to a healthy life and a healthy relationship, but toxic independence or hyper-independence is not. The truth is, is that we do need other people and we need to learn to open up space to let others come along on this journey with us physically and emotionally, even if your father didn't. Anyway, it's time to get into the episode with the incredible Stephanie. I love you guys so much. And this is just your final reminder that if you want to go deeper with Stephanie, there's a bonus episode in the house this month on conquering men and the psychology of conquering men. If you want to get access to this and so much more for just $3, the link is in the show notes. Now, let's see what Stephanie has to say. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. Today is part two, part two of the very important father wound episode that so many people have been asking for. So if you have not listened to the last episode with myself and Steph, please go back and listen to that one before you listen to this one, because while this one might be a little bit juicier, a little bit more sexual, you know, all of the daddy issues that we think about and talk about, understanding the foundations of the father wound and what is really going on 
is really, really important. So please, please go back and listen to that episode before diving into this one. So I've got Stephanie Therapy back with me again. She is an incredible human being. She's also a Sagittarius. We get on so well. We were just talking about how I should probably move to Manchester and be friends with our matching dogs and matching star signs and matching lives. But in all seriousness, Stephanie works with childhood trauma, attachment theory and parental wounding. And she is just wonderful at her job. Incredible person, incredible insight and incredible knowledge. Thank you again, Louise, for that amazing introduction. I'm so grateful for you and to have this space to talk about this. This stuff is actually quite exciting though, because when we start to recognise these patterns, it's so enlightening for us. And like you said, with daddy issues and father wound, what are we calling it? Again, it's passing the responsibility, isn't it? Because if we make men accountable for our father wound, then there's going to have to be bigger conversations around it. And it's going to be something else that we tend to blame men for. So we've internalized it again. Women have said it's something wrong with us. Something wrong with us. Men have gone, yes, it is. There you go. You like older men. You have an inability to sustain relationships. And we've been blamed for it. And we've carried it. And we laugh about it. And, you know, even as women now, hyper-functioning, high-achieving women, you know, if we can't sustain a relationship or if we can't show up for people emotionally, we laugh and we say, oh, I've got daddy issues. We've labelled ourselves with it. And actually, it's very much linked to misogyny. It's very much linked to porn. Those areas where, you know, she's got daddy issues. She wants an older man. She wants someone to control her. She wants to give someone else the power over her. And so many of us in our lives, Louise, so many of us in a, in a very warped way are looking to be punished. We want to be punished. We want dad to punish us. So sometimes we make the government our daddy. Sometimes we make a partner our daddy. Sometimes we make our food and our diet our daddy or an addiction our diet our daddy. We are looking for the discipline and the punishment at times. And that's where this all ties in with sex, power, control, and how we are showing up, one, in love, and two, in our work lives and, and careers. You're so right about the almost like the laughter piece around daddy issues. You know, oh, it's kind of funny. Sometimes it's kind of sexy. I'm going to like really show you a good time in the bedroom. You can do whatever the fuck you want with me, really. That, like you said, just ties back to pornography and the patriarchy and internalized misogyny. But I guess underneath the joking around daddy issues, there's also a lot of sadness. Because saying I have daddy issues really actually means I was not provided for emotionally by the male caregiver in my life. And I learned that what I needed, I was never going to get from a man. So I've learned to adapt in adulthood. And I think it's those adaptations that we're going to go into today. And I know that, again, we could spend like four hours on this episode because there is so much to talk about. And I think let's let's start with the hyper-independent. The hyper-independent woman, like, I don't need no man. I don't need anybody. I can do everything by myself. Like, what I've learned through you is that really that means my ability to trust, particularly in a male figure, has been injured through people continuously failing me as a child. So now, if I do everything myself, I'm less likely to be hurt because I'm less likely to expose myself to anyone ever having to disappoint me ever again. So do you think that that's true? Have I summarised that correctly? And I'd love it if we could just go into this like hyper-independence. I don't need no man. Yeah, you've described it perfectly, Louise. And that's what it is. It's this distrustful male energy. It is my ability to trust in people has been broken and damaged. And there is now an injury to my psyche where any male form that comes close to me, anything that resembles what should be love, I'm going to protect myself against. And also, the reason we end up so hyper-independent, Louise, isn't always just because we're on this chase for career. Some people actually don't value money and success the way we think they do. A lot of the time, it's to create safety. I know I shared this with you earlier, but we don't wake up every day and say, how can I be happy? We wake up and say, how can I be safe? Your body communicates with itself and says, how can I be safe? And if your level of safety and your awareness of safety comes from chaos or a father who was emotionally unavailable or a father who suffered with mental health problems, your idea of safety and what feels comfortable for your body is going to be very different to another person's. 
And so trying to protect yourself against that and still welcoming in love, what we've learned is that we get to have a lot more control and a lot more say if we are successful. Some women actually hate working. Some women would love to embrace being stay-at-home mums or, you know, a lady of leisure. We are also shamed for those things. And so what we've learned is that if we can provide ourselves with a certain level of money, that can't be taken from us. We've learned to cultivate things that they cannot take away from us, namely males. So if I have all of my own things, I'm also not going to be a burden to you. A lot of us grow up feeling like we were a burden to our fathers. I'm not a burden to you. And this is why we can oftentimes pin ourselves against other women. Why would he cheat with her? She's got, she hasn't even got a job or she still lives in a really poor area or she doesn't even have a car. We label those things, you know, how could he choose someone else over me when I've got all of these accomplishments? Because we have cultivated those things and made those things important as a way to protect ourselves, but they're actually not important to men. And this is why I say it's become a level of safety for us. It's not always, I'm strong and hyper-independent and I want to be this really super strong person. It is actually saying, if I provide my own safety here, no one can take it from me. And I don't have to ask for help. I don't have to be a burden. I don't have to place any pressures on that person because you were taught that when you placed pressure on dad, you got emotionally shut down. You weren't allowed to be angry. You weren't allowed to be upset. You were sent to your room. You weren't allowed to misbehave. All of the feelings that you had growing up, they there was nowhere for them to go. If mom was upset, if dad was upset, guess what they got to do, Louise? They got to scream. They could shout. They could jump in the car and go, as a child, who can you even talk to? I can't even talk to my friends because they're the same age as me. They're also eight, nine, ten. So there's actually nowhere I can go. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to build my own little wall of safety. And that's by me not asking for help and not accessing any emotional support from anyone. And just to build on that, which is so incredibly interesting, is that this is definitely something I've experienced myself. You know, I have loved working, building businesses, being an independent woman, making good money for as long as I can remember. I've always been driven by work success. And, you know, if you listen to the episode before this, we've discussed a lot about how often that's because the only way that you can connect with the male in your life is through the more masculine energy-led activities. And I explained that, yeah, that's how I connect with my dad still now. How's the business going? What's the plans for this year? Et cetera, et cetera. And it took me a very long time to gently start to unravel that and to see how many drivers can come from that around childhood experiences, masculine energy, not experiencing healthy masculine energy, stepping into my own masculine energy, et cetera, et cetera. And it's definitely been a problem for me, particularly as I have made more money than my partners in the past, and that can bring up its own issues. So it's definitely something that I've experienced myself. And for a very long time, I was like, no, I am not doing this business, this other business for anything. I'm not trying to get attention, validation. I'm not trying to secure my father's affection, blah, blah, blah. And actually working with people like Stephanie and going deeper into the situations has helped me realize, okay, yeah, maybe consciously you're not, but subconsciously you feel comfortable in that masculine energy. And why is that? And I just want to touch on that, Louise. So it is very scary starting this journey because who am I without those qualities? I know for my own journey, becoming a parent and I relinquished a lot of my own control and, and my overachieving and hyperfunctioning. I went into a relationship where I allowed him to take care of me for a short while and I lost who I was, completely lost who I was. And then I was in a relationship there where I felt so unsafe that I then reinforced even more toxic behaviours to counteract the fact that I wasn't making money, the fact that I wasn't showing up as a successful female anymore for myself. So again, like you just touched on, you've built your identity. And sometimes, you know, it's not about breaking yourself back down and saying, okay, let's, you know, swim in the rivers and walk through the forest. It'd be great for us to do that. You know, but life does not work like that. Because for a lot of us, if I'm not out working, who's going to do it? Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to pay the childcare costs? Because there's, you know, we could all say let's be in our feminine. So like you said, having that balance, it might be Louise that say if you know you've had a really tough day at work, and you're supposed to go on a date that evening, you don't go on that date, because you're highly in your masculine. 
if we were to go out on a date after we've worked all day, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about targets. We're going to talk about our co-workers and how angry they make us and how great I am at this. So sometimes it's not just, we're not trying to tell you to not be in your masculine. We want that healthy masculine. You know, you can work or we can do very well in your career if that's what drives you. But if you know that you want to be intentional about dating, if you know that you want to find a man or a woman that you want to settle down with, that it might be worth you looking at the days where you are stressed, high functioning, and separating your sort of dating life from those feelings in the moment. You're right. I think it has to be a very active effort and exercise if you are someone that your daddy issues show up as hyper-independence, overworking, overachieving. Because for me, and I'm sure people can relate, I could just work all day long, all night long, seven days a week, you know, more content, more content, more content, more goals, more ambitions. There isn't an off point where it's like, okay, now I'm going to be in my feminine. So I think it's about being very, very intentional and just carving out even the smallest of moments where you can connect with yourself. And even if that looks like putting your hand on your heart and starting to breathe into your body because you know the feminine is in the body whereas the masculine is very in the mind maybe it's maybe it's cooking maybe it's lingerie maybe it's just being softer with yourself breath work even just listening to music slowing down tapping in to your intuition these are a lot of things that I don't do a lot and that I still am working on doing but I love that about you understanding that you know you need to put these delineations and boundaries in place and 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 set yourself up to move into the feminine space rather than being in the in the hyper-masculine one. The masculine energy is, you know, it's, like you said, in your head. And it's also how we show up in the world. Our feminine energy is how we show up with ourselves. So we have a very poor relationship with ourselves if we don't sleep when we're tired, if we don't eat when we're hungry, if we don't cry when we're sad. It means that we're not motivated in those moments from a place of self-compassion. And that's the opposite of trauma. If we do not have self-compassion, we will abandon ourselves every time, whether that's through drugs, food, sex, we'll find a way to, to get those arms around us. And that's what it is. Your inner child needs this. She wants the cuddle. She wants the embrace. Deep down inside of you, there is a little girl who needs her, her dad's arms around her. And so when that comes in different forms as adults, you know, don't forget, we we tend to assume that because we've got older, our bodies and faces have got older, that we have gotten older. But, you know, a lot of us are very stunted at our trauma injury at the time when we were neglected or we were abandoned or when we were hurt. And so what we have to remember is that mentally, that's the space that you're going to go into when you meet people, you know. There is this common misconception that we attract people who are like our fathers or our mothers. It's not just that, it's a lot deeper, Louise. We attract people who create the emotional experience we had with that parent. They, you know, say if dad, for example, gave you a lot of gifts or um, constantly provided a great home for you and worked very hard, and then you meet a guy, you see he's got a nice car, he's got a nice apartment, he brings you flowers on the date, but he doesn't talk very much, he doesn't ask you how your day was, he doesn't show up for you emotionally. Then you sleep together and then afterwards you feel so empty because you wanted the, how was your day? How are you feeling? But you got what dad gave you. You recreated the emotional experience in adult form. And that's why we end up disappointed and hurt. And then what we do is we go into self-punishment because again, we touched on this in the early episode for anyone who hasn't listened to that previous one and how this childhood trauma develops. As you said, as children, we are quite narcissistic in the sense that we believe everything that is happening to us is because of us. We don't see anything outside of that. So we internalize every experience and every behavior towards us as children, and we connect our sense of self to it. And so anything that we're not getting, it's because we're not good enough. Anything we're not hearing is because we're, we're not that. You know, your dad's not telling you that you're lovable because he doesn't love you. Your dad's not telling you that you're great at swimming because you're not great at swimming. Your brother's better than you. That's what we're interpreting all the time. And what happens is when we recreate an emotional experience with a partner, the same narrative and language comes up. So when that guy doesn't call after you've slept together and you've been intimate, we're recreating that experience. And what will happen is 
will think, why is he not doing this? It must be because of me. Maybe the sex was bad. Maybe he didn't like me with my makeup when I took my makeup off. Maybe he's got a girlfriend. We start to look for the reasons why rather than this person is emotionally unavailable. He didn't even meet my needs. He didn't even ask about my day. He was pimping and preening in, in the mirror looking at himself. He gave me my flowers. He couldn't wait to show me how fast his car was and take me to the best restaurant. But not once did he pull my chair out. Not once did he say, how was your food? How was your meal? We don't see that. We internalize and we say, he didn't pick me. He didn't choose me. So guess what the best sort of protective response to that is? Get prettier, get a better body, work harder on our appearance. And that's what's happening. We're not cultivating from the inside out. You have to work from the inside out. We work externally and we hope that we pull something in. You know, it's you're not going to pull in anything different if you are just focusing here. You are so right. That's a theme that just dominated my 20s. You know, before I started doing the self-work, I genuinely, like so many of us, probably saw these daddy issues showing up as this pick me, love me, choose me energy. And what's below that, like you said, is I'll be more likely to be picked, loved and chosen if I'm prettier, if I'm skinnier, if I'm better dressed, if I X, Y, Z. So when you move into that and you become focused on those things in order to attract a partner, you then end up attracting partners or wanting or thinking that you want to attract partners like a lot of the people that I dated in my 20s. The models, the celebrities, the rich people, the people that, like you said, will take you to Hakkasan for dinner, but will never ask you, and how do you feel? Like, what shaped you? And oh my God, I've sat in Hakkasan so many times. It's my favorite restaurant, which is why I mentioned Hakkasan. Like, I love it so much. And I'll be sat there eating like the best dish, like so happy with the food, but kind of just trying to look pretty and like not not say anything. And I remember once this this guy asked me like, do you smoke? And I did smoke at the time and I had smoked for like a decade. And I couldn't answer that question because I didn't know what he wanted me to answer. And I was like, is he asking me because he wants to go out for a cigarette because we're having this sexy dimly lit meal? Or is he asking me because he hates it? And I think that is literally the prime example. Like when you are in this performative, wounded, feminine, pick me, love me, choose me energy, you are not being authentic to yourself. Because I should have been like, yeah, I do. And I love it. Or yeah, I do. And it's a disgusting habit, but I'm very stressed at work. And, and I know it's something I need to work on. And in that moment, I just kind of went for the, uh, uh, yeah, like sometimes when I'm drunk, you know, kind of going for the safe middle ground so I could go with either way. And yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, I hate it. And I was like, oh, yeah, me too. And like looking back, it was just like, why was I in Hakkasan with, with someone, you know, having this surface, surface level interaction? And then he ghosted me like a week later after he said he wanted to take me out again. And I was really upset. Like, you know, just the standard same old cycles. Like, of course he ghosted me because he was emotionally unavailable and I was emotionally unavailable. So even if he hadn't ghosted me, if he'd asked me on a second date, I probably would have been like, ooh, like, why is he being available and interested in me? Like, that's weird and disgusting. Yeah. And again, Louise, it's recreating that emotional experience. From a 30-year-old woman's perspective or a 40-year-old woman's perspective, we know what we want. I want to feel good. I want to be in a loving relationship. I want to share my life with someone. I want to build with someone. But nine-year-old Louise doesn't know that. She doesn't know what it feels like for someone to ask how her day was. So she feels more secure with the person who's not going to ask her. She feels more secure being around someone who is devoid of affection, someone who is unable to show her love, because that's what she knows. That's the experience she's had. So even when we sit here, we sit in therapy, we sit in, you know, on these podcasts, we, we post TikToks and we're saying, I want love. I want a relationship. I want this person to, to reciprocate. The real question is, am I able to accept that? Am I able to welcome that in and embrace that? Does my inner child feel deserving enough of that? And that's why when we do therapy, when we work on ourselves, one of the biggest things we can do is work on our core belief system. Your core belief system is how your parents have left you feeling about yourself, what you've, what you've developed about yourself and how you see yourself in terms of the world and other people. And what happens is, I'll give you an example, uh, Louise. One of your core beliefs might be, no one cares about me. Now, the information that you've integrated might be, my friend forgot my birthday. 
Um, my partner hasn't introduced me to his family yet, so I'm clearly not important. My family never really check in on me and ask how I am. All of this is being integrated on a day-to-day basis. Your brain is going, information to prove my core belief because I'm not lovable. I'm worthless. I don't deserve love. That's the stuff you're integrating. The stuff that you haven't integrated is, yeah, my friend forgot my birthday, but when I was sick, she came around with medicine and soup and she walked my dog. Yes, I haven't met my partner's family yet, but he's got a strained relationship with his parents. All of these other things, we're not integrating that other stuff. We then have modified beliefs. My friend only came around with medicine and soup because she knows that when she's ill, I'm going to do it for her. My partner has asked me uh, to meet his family because he knows that I'm going to leave him. So we also modify things. So if you can imagine, Louise, you've got all these core beliefs that have been given to you by your father, by your dad that you're not lovable, you're not worthy of time and affection. And it's, again, it's not intentional. Your dad doesn't go, ha ha, just got home from work and I'm not going to read you a story. Your dad's exhausted, he's tired. There's no space for him to do that. He's mentally drained and mum wants affection and everyone's, the whole world is calling for him to be a better person and he doesn't know how, he can't access it. We spoke about your dad not knowing how to articulate how he felt. So here we are with this man. He doesn't intentionally avoid you or neglect you I mean there are men that have and and we have to also address that in this session but these people are just going about their day-to-day lives thinking that they're doing enough for you and so what it's communicating to you again because we are quite narcissistic because we don't have a full concept of who we are in those first nine years we interpret everything that happens to us and we believe it's about us and we end up with the four wounds Louise so we either have an abandonment wound, a guilt wound, a trust wound, or a neglect wound. Now, the first call of healing is going to be that. Well, firstly, you want to address whether I have a father wound or not. Secondly, you want to say, what wound state am I in here? Where is my trauma injury? Now, for you, yours was a neglect wound. They were there. Father was there. House was paid. Mortgage was paid. Gifts were given. Christmases were great but the attention and love wasn't given. So when we have a neglect wound, we either struggle to let things go, we struggle to let people go, even if they're not right for us. And we will also get angry when our partners are getting closer to us, not in in an angry state as in getting angry at them, but almost like, this feels too much for me here. I'm going to have to show up too much in this relationship. And like I said to you earlier, we don't always, when we're emotionally unavailable ourselves or we are women who are hyperfunctioning, we don't sit there and go, oh, I just, you know, I don't want love. I don't want a relationship. It's too much for me. We actually subconsciously just go, I'm going to have to give so much of myself here and I can't even access myself yet. So just looking at those wounds and, and figuring out what it is that you that you are suffering with is super, super helpful. I just want to say that Stephanie is so right about how these beliefs subconscious, we don't even have to be consciously aware of them, can be pervasive across your life. And I talk often about how when I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, or I should say when he broke up with me, it floored me to a point that it was an unnatural reaction to how the average person would deal with that. And what therapy helped me realize is that I had what we call a defectiveness schema, which develops in childhood, which is all of these things that we're talking about. And it's really just a variation of of what Stephanie's talking about, but under the remit of, of schema therapy, which is saying that you have all these beliefs. And so you develop this schema of, I'm actually defective. My dad didn't love me. Maybe it's a mother wound. My mum didn't love me. And all of this can be subconscious. You know, you never think like, oh, daddy doesn't love me, you know, because that I've never thought daddy doesn't love me ever. It's just that it's kind of working in the background. And then when someone rejects you, it almost confirms that, you know, schema or these beliefs that Stephanie's talking about, which is like, Yes, this person rejected me because I am defective, because I am unlovable. He can't love me just like my dad never loved me. And I think that helped me understand so much better, like why this floored me to a point of like physically being unable to function when people from the outside were like, this is so weird. Like that guy wasn't even your soulmate. Like what, how, how did you take it that badly? So 
I would just love to know if if that's something you see in practice is like a connection between almost like daddy issues and being hit so badly by a breakup that sometimes other people can't quite comprehend how badly you are taking it. It's so common, Louise. And that's why I started with this, this thing that we have where we can show up in other arenas. In the workplace, you can set boundaries. You will not allow anyone to disrespect you. If you are heading for a promotion, you will give it all you've got. And yet when it comes to relationships, at times you can have this anxious feeling of, have they checked their WhatsApp? Have they read my message? Are they going to, you know, cancel their dinner plans with me tonight? It's having these feelings. We're not always going to apply the same skill set in different arenas. You know, for you, Louise, and for myself especially, we could be in a relationship where we are terrified that that person's going to leave, but then still showing up in the workplace as this strong functioning person who is able to to be everything to everyone it's that one arena that we struggle with and I want to ask you Louise just on a personal level you just said that I never once thought dad doesn't love me but how did you know that your dad loved you that is a crazy question because the answer honestly is probably the fact that my mum has repeated my whole life you know daddy loves you, you know dad loves you. So honestly, I probably learned it like from my mum consciously that dad loves me rather than ever feeling the emotions of love from my dad. Or on the flip side, it would probably be him turning up to a lacrosse game, turning up to my gymnastics meets, you know, flying to Belgium when I would be competing in uh, stuff like that. But then the flip side of that is there would be so many times, of course, when he couldn't be there because, you know, it's very difficult to be there every single week and you have another child who's on the hockey pitch and you've just been a lawyer in London for five days working 18-hour days, that almost those moments of feeling loved were almost like offset by the moments that he wasn't there. So you sometimes remember them him not being there rather than him being there. So honestly, that is a very incredible question and one that I've never been asked before. And I think that the answer is, yeah, quite, quite telling probably. Thank you for sharing that, Louise. And I think anyone listening to this has to sit there with themselves and put your, your hand on your chest, another hand on your lower abdomen, take a deep breath and ask, how did I know my dad loved me? How did I know? And whatever comes up for you in that moment, that's what you have to run with. That's what you have to say, this is where my wound is. This is where it is. And that's why your mum validated that dad loved you. So it may be, you know, I don't know how you are in your relationships, Louise, and I'm sure I'll find that out as we, as you and I have this kind of friendship and this business relationship. But it may be that whenever you are in a relationship, you constantly seek validation from friends. Is he a good guy? Do you like him? It might be important that your friends get on with him. It might be that you constantly seek approval elsewhere, even when you're going through a breakup or you're going through something, you might be on the phone all the time to your friends and then constantly validating that through other people. Or it might be that, you know, when that person, that person might be on the phone to you all the time, but because they didn't show up for your birthday party or because they didn't book a restaurant, you then get angry. And even that would be very scary. Someone showing up for you, Louise, emotionally and physically, that's so scary for you because your inner child's going to go, oh, what do we do with this? What do we do with this now? This person's so close to us. He's loving us in all of the ways that we needed to. He's being those arms that I needed around me. My inner child is now saying, no, but this doesn't feel right. This is strange. Why is he giving me too much? Because you asked me, why do we get uncomfortable when someone starts to love so much? We chase, we chase, we chase. And then when that person says, hey, I miss you, I love you, I want to be with you, I'm willing to move closer to you, or I'll quit my job for you, or guess what, I want to marry you, we go, this isn't how dad loved me. This isn't what I'm used to. And then what happens is the distrust for self kicks in, and we go, where's the catch? Do you know what it is? He wants to live with me because he's got no money because he's going to start relying on me financially. The reason he wants to get married is because X, Y, Z, we start to make excuses for why this person loves us. Because like you said, we feel defunct. And I think it's important for, again, anyone listening, when you are 
sat here now going, do I have a father wound? Do I? I don't know if I do. Ask yourself, do I have weak boundaries and inability to say no? And this is in relationships. We're not going to apply this to business or anything like that. You could be the strongest female, the most vocal in your workplace, and then quiet as a mouse in your romantic relationships. Number two, am I seeking relationships with partners who emulate the same qualities as my dad? If my dad used to ignore my mum when he was angry and leave the house, am I attracting someone who won't listen to me when I'm angry or upset? Does he do the same? Does he turn his phone off? Does he go out with his friends when we're angry at each other? You know, is there space here to communicate? Three, do I get codependent? Do I start planning my days around this person? Do I start posting content online to make sure they see me looking good? Look how successful I am. Look how pretty I am. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Whereas in the past, you didn't ever post. You know, am I changing my WhatsApp display picture all the time? You know, am I trying to co-regulate when they tell me they're upset? Do I get upset? Am I am I around this person and, and trying to make my life about theirs and trying to merge with this person? You know, what is my self-worth like? How do I see myself? Do I give myself freely to people? Do I say yes to every invitation? Do I allow people access to me all the time? How do I see myself? What are my core beliefs? You know, and again, what am I like displaying emotions? Because we can all say that we're good with emotions. But like you said, Louise, even actually, I picked up on this, you posted um, something where you said that your mental uh, health had gone a little bit downhill since you got back from Mexico, because you'd been co-regulating with your partner, you'd been in this safe space, you were then skyrocketed back into masculine energy. And naturally, speaking about this stuff, opening yourself up to people and speaking constantly about mental health, you know, even my partner says to me, you're listening to negative things all day, that has to at some point impact you. So being aware of that and saying, hey, today isn't a good day, let me not try and co-regulate with someone else, you know, displaying those emotions. And again, unconsciously seeking approval, looking for external validation, looking for those arms around you, being happy with breadcrumbs. And, you know, sometimes even when we're asking for nothing, we can still get less. You think by not asking for nothing that you're going to be a burden, you can still get less. People will still go, okay, she doesn't need much from me. And that's what you're going to get. You're going to get even less than what you deserve or what you need. You have just shared so much value there. Thank you so much. I mean, honestly, there's about 20 questions in there that if people are listening to that, guys, I would recommend that you just rewind two minutes, just write them down, write every single thing down that Stephanie just said. And every morning just choose one of the questions in the list and start to free journal on it. And what I mean by free journal is trying to move into the space where you, of course, will start thinking consciously when you first start answering, but try and breathe into your body and let the pen flow and start to move into that subconscious because I guarantee you that it, this free journaling is crazy, crazy shit. Like you can sometimes, if you get into a flow, write pages and you can snap back to your conscious mind and you can be like, oh my God, like, did I even just write that? It's like your subconscious can come out on paper. So I absolutely love that Stephanie's just given us those kind of insights into a way that we can start to get answers. Because sometimes in, in, in conscious therapy, we can't get all of the answers. Like sometimes these things are in our subconscious. So thank you for sharing all that info. Now, as we've spoken a lot about, the vast majorities of my 20s was very much dealing with the emotionally unavailable men, focusing on their external appearance, their qualities in terms of like their outward appearance, because that meant that I never had to show up emotionally to meet with them because they didn't want to either. The avoidant men, the anxious avoidant trap, all of that stuff. Now, what I think is so interesting, and I don't know what changed this or or really why this happened but towards the back end of of my 20s I saw myself going the other way which is where I entered into a relationship where this man worshipped me I mean he worshipped the ground that I walked on he loved me so deeply it was almost like one of those inner child connections where like oh god like you are so 
so in love with each other. And maybe it was codependency, maybe a trauma bond, who knows what it was. But what I know is I went to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love to just talk about how, you know, some people, their daddy issues might show up in that way. Like, is that a thing that instead of going for the emotionally unavailable man, you actually go for the man that just dotes on you to the point that it's actually either unhealthy or you're actually in a power dynamic where you're slightly pedestaled, slightly more attractive, slightly more successful, et cetera, et cetera. And the person loving you is at the bottom of, of the pedestal. Is that something that you can see showing up in practice as well? Yeah, of course, Louise. And this is the thing. Not everything is going to fall under the same bracket. I get people on my TikTok and they're like, no, this isn't me. And I'm like, well, you can just scroll past if you like, if it doesn't apply. But some people want to be seen as saying that isn't me that's not where I'm where I'm coming from that's not what my relationships are even people in healthy marriages might say well no my dad was awful and and I haven't recreated that I've broken the cycle what we have to be mindful of Louise is that again we are going to carry mum's attitudes towards men you know our, our fathers and how they showed up for us and if we grow up in a painful experience we're also going to compensate in, in different areas of our life. So we're going to try to make excuses and try and validate why this experience has happened for us. I, I know I keep touching on this, but every single day a child says, do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? And our behavior is in response to their behavior. So that's what we do. We react to that. So your parents and how they responded to you, that is what is going to be your default. Now, we can be around good men, kind men, loving men. We don't all always necessarily attract these toxic men. It would be interesting to know, Louise, at the time in your life, what was happening for you. It's interesting to see what is taking place for you. I was less in my masculine when I had a daughter because I then had to show up for her. But then after that, the dependency that I had on him financially... I was like, oh, I've got to get back in my masculine. I've got to get back to uni. I've got to get back to work. I've got to do this. I've got to get another degree. And it re really reinforced that survival trait within me. You just sort of asked me, where were you in your energy at that point in time? And I think for me, it was like, I just started going to therapy. So much stuff was coming up that was just like, oh my goodness. And then also I have really bad health anxiety, which I don't often talk about on the podcast and it's on the to-do list to, to go into. But for whatever reason, it was so bad when I was with him or when I met him that I was constantly having panic attacks and, you know, really it was very, very bad. And so I felt like this man just held this like loving, warm space for me as I started going to therapy and as I was like going through all of this health anxiety. So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are there, but it's definitely interesting that that worship dynamic. The, the point that you were at in your life at that moment was very different to this high masculine, fully functioning, happy woman moving forward. You are there feeling like, feeling weak, feeling vulnerable. And what tends to happen is when we do take on traits of dad in a way to connect back to him, like the overachieving, the masculine traits, we can actually become dad in our relationships and we can either marry mom or attract mom. So what you were getting there in that relationship was potentially what mom was giving you in your childhood and you were being dad. You were being the person who didn't need to speak and say anything because guess what? He would just guess there was something wrong with you that kind of dynamic. You are so right because he also just looked after me so well. He cooked, he cleaned, he just loved me. He would massage me like just obviously my mum didn't massage me as a child, but all of the things that my mum did, you know, my mum is an incredible woman, incredible housewife in all senses of the word. I grew up in a house where I didn't have to lift a finger. She cooked, she cleaned, the fridge was always stocked. She'd sew labels in all of our socks, you know, like just so much caregiving and so much caretaking. But you're right, like even I am like, oh my God, yeah, in that moment, in that point of my life, like he was my mum and I was my dad. Like it was in lockdown. So I'd be there, be working all day, starting the podcast, working, working, working. And then he'd be there just like loving me and caring for me. So 
already I'm like, I mean, I knew that you were incredible before this, but already I'm now I'm like, oh my gosh. The body and the brain doesn't know the difference between what is real and what's perceived, Louise. So any chance we get where it looks similar, trauma reenactment. If we can get that man to fall in love with us and break him down, that means that the reason dad was emotionally unavailable towards us as children, it wasn't our fault. And so that's what we're constantly trying to do. And we're trying to find situations where we can flip it. We can reverse it and go, I got this man who works 60 hours a week, has never settled down, doesn't want to get married, has never had children. He is now begging me for children. He is now including me into his work routine. He is now wanting to be around me all the time. He's taken days off work. We then feel validated. We feel like it is dad. We feel like it's dad. We've met that quota. We've made that connection there all by ourselves. And it then makes us worthy. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. You are full of wisdom and compassion and oh, just so much knowledge. Today we've spoken through how daddy issues can show up as hyper-independence, as performance, the damsel in distress and the wounded feminine, how it can also show up as men actually worshipping you and the power dynamic between mother and father and how that can show up in romantic relationships. And so thank you a million times over and we're going to do the final part of this episode together. We're going to be talking about the sexualization, the fantasy bonding, the toxic man, the angry man, wounded masculine man. And we're going to wrap up this incredible series that I just can't tell you how much I'm enjoying doing this with you. So thank you for everyone listening. Thank you, Louise. And again, I hope everyone gets started on this journey and it's baby steps. Healing is not linear. Compassion for yourself and for others. And good luck with that journey. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.